battery day, he said, if I remember correctly, 100 gigawatt hours of internal cell production by 2022, and they will be at capacity 200 gigawatt hours by the end of 22. Now, do you think he's on track for that? It depends on how you interpret it. I think, I have it written down somewhere. <laughs> Is but there any other way of interpreting it? Can he produce 100 gigawatt hours cells internally next year? Welcome back to Rockstock Channel and thanks for checking in. Before we launch into the interview, we'd like to thank all our Patreon sponsors. And for those of you who are new, share a bit about us. RK Equity is an advisory firm run by Rodney Hooper and me, Howard Klein. We are exclusively focused on raising awareness about companies producing or developing the next generation critical raw materials that are powering Tesla's EV battery energy transition. Please register your email at rkequity.com and follow Rodney and me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please also subscribe to this channel, Rockstock Channel on YouTube, as well as Lithium Ion Rocks on SoundCloud for our podcasts. Please note, Rodney and me are not financial advisors or broker dealers. Nothing you hear in this video is investment advice. Please do your own research and read the disclaimer at the end of this video or on our website. Thanks again for the support and let's get into the video. You know, it's uh, something we've been saying for some time at RK Equity, you know, US is the sleeping giant and we're about to have, even before this latest Biden proposals are coming through, just the number of new models into the key sectors, which is SUV and pickup truck. Just, you know, simply a question of choice. Now, I mean, I'm hearing even talk about possibly a $10,000 federal credit, never mind a seven and a half and possibly no cap on, on sales on that. So, you know, I've raised the issue is it's not about sales, it's about sales. In China, they sell these dinky mini EVs that have got like 10 kilowatt hour battery packs. And in the US, you've got Rivian and Hummers and, you know, all of these things on 100, you know, 100, 135, even higher. I mean, 200, I mean, the Bollinger or wheel or something is 403 kilowatt hours. So I'm saying, by 2025, it's not inconceivable that the U.S. will deploy more battery cells, gigawatt hours, than China in the EV market. It sounds ludicrous from last year's data, but looking at the number of models coming through, look what could happen with the credit and look what, you know, the size, the, just the shared size and difference in battery packs in what's being sold. So the U.S. to have... Um, I guess, uh, smarter supply chains, starting from the cell all the way back through to mines. And then what you're saying, you know, you've got a fractured market, but if you're going to be relying a lot more on energy as to sustain transportation, you're going to need to have some smarter thinking on, on that side as well. You can't just have peak power at midday in the sun and then, you know, nothing in the evening. Well, what I, one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is what it's going to take to move the obstacles out of uh, EV makers' ways, like for instance, Tesla. It looks like we're going to have hit a serious material bottleneck in the next few years on about every material that goes into batteries. And I have a feeling when that happens, and it's, just, it's going to be happening exactly at the time that EVs are starting to gain a lot of popularity and traction in the U.S., and I think once that happens, I think regulators, or I hope regulators, jump in and they start doing some serious thinking about this and they, uh, they start moving regulations out of the way. 
Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, to me, one thing I find interesting is, is I think by the time Biden's term ends, EVs will be as cheap, if not cheaper than internal combustion engines. So regardless of what happens in the next elections, EVs are in full swing. Yeah. Now, now I guess you've raised a good point. Just as a, as a newsflash, lithium is already in short supply, <laughs> even though we're at 4% EV penetration. I don't know if you've been watching the prices. We've said this. And now, of course, we've got models. You cannot scale commodities at 50 to 60% compound rates like you can EV sales. It doesn't, obviously, the total market doesn't compound, but the total market of lithium and nickel and graphite and all of these things is sort of growing at 25% plus, and you can't scale production at that rate. So you need to make the call. It'll be interesting to see if. Because I understand at the micro level that people sort of dispute and don't want a project built, et cetera. But what I don't understand is if you look holistically at the whole globe and saying, if we are to make this as a, a universe of people, you should develop the lowest, you know, lowest environmental impact, lowest CO2 project should be developed. And it might happen to be the one that you're disputing, but you don't care if they build it in China because you don't live in China. And I'm not sure I understand that logic or some other part in Asia or in a nickel deposits in Indonesia where they're going to put, they want to put tailings on the seabed and you've got to fight it. Do we, should we be approaching this whole clean energy revolution from a holistic perspective as a universe of people? And to my mind, that's what you should be doing. Yeah, I, I agree. We're, we're currently paying for I don't, for lack of a better term, the sins of the father. There was, we had Henry Ford a hundred years ago and he put this big, uh, he put this whole thing in motion with oil or he was a, a big part of it. There are other, are other parts of it, of course, but now we have to make amends for that. And not only do we have to get all these battery electric vehicles on the road, which limit the amount of CO2 going into the air, but we also have to make sure that the materials that go into those come from clean supply chains as well. So I'm totally on board with you. And I, I guess to put a finer point on what I was saying a moment ago is I don't see how these EV credits help. Um, the issue is with supply. So what we need to do is we need to cut the red tape for these mines. And I think the mines that are going to, going to be in the US and North America are going to be much cleaner and much better in terms of CO2 than the stuff we get from China. So we should help clear the way for them. That is, that is exactly, you know, my thoughts. And, and it's why, you know, Howard and I are pro-Canada and Quebec. You've got a clean source of energy there. It's cheap and it's clean. So to my mind, a logical supplier to the North American, but read as US, is Canada. And especially out of Quebec. So I'll be interested to see how that evolves. Uh, we've had some stops and starts on, on a couple of projects, but those have been financial. It's not on the merits of how clean are they. And it's, I guess, why I raised that, you know, Nouveau-Monde, Tolga, if you, these guys can produce CO2 neutral, why, you know, it's, it's logical as long as it's priced, right? It, they make sense as projects and there are lithium projects that we also like up there. And I think, I guess, nickel, if you can, if it can be done at a commercial price, same thing again. If you've got a natural, easy access to 
low cost power, then you need mitigating factors because I do understand the sort of skeptics or the people who push back and bi-directional, you know, on the battery to charge and discharge into the grid or what have you. If you can make a phenomenal battery that's got a long, high, high cycle life and long life, it's, we're never going to use, you're never going to use a million kilometers on your car, I don't think. So if you could, if you could produce a, a low or very close to a zero CO2 cell and you can charge it and then discharge it into the grid or your house, then that to me is a, is a great answer. Oh yeah. I, I love the idea, but I just don't know enough about how the grid works in order to make that happen. I think batteries are at a place where they have uh, high enough cycle life and they're cheap enough to make it viable. It looks, I do know that Europe is more well set up for vehicle to grid, and I really want to see it in the US. I mean, personally, I have a Cybertruck on order, and I, I know that thing's going to have like a 220 volt outlet. And I'm looking forward to having that as like backup power when I go back to the US, because in the Midwest, every summer, your basement floods because the power goes out <laughs> and this, the, like the sump pump uh, doesn't have any power to pump out of your basement. So uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, you've touched, you've, you've touched on something and now, now to my mind, I think the cyber truck's going to be a huge hit. I think that's going to have a million, a million or pre-orders by the time it actually rolls off the line, but we've already seen Elon Musk saying, semi and the well he hasn't said cyber but the semi there's a cell there's a cell shortage that's the again the limiting factor already and again we're talking about it with how many you know what ev penetration are we already talking about cells and when you say cells you can read through to to battery raw materials is really you know going to be coming the pinch point so um when do you think uh, that, uh, you know, the cyber is going to come online in the semi and how are they going to fix this? There is a lot of moving parts here. I'm going to search my memory banks here and see if I can uh, give an idea of the way that I think uh, things are going to play out. So they're probably Tesla at their Cato Road facility. I think they're either on the final iteration of the 4680 battery line or the penultimate version. So I think very soon they're going to have the final version of their, their battery cell line. I don't think Tesla is going to copy that line at Cato Road until they have it working just exactly how they want it to work. Now, uh, I think uh, ho hopefully they should be starting to hit decent yield rates now. Um, so maybe, I don't know, by mid-year this year, there'll be at like 50% yield rate and putting out uh, five gigawatt hours of batteries cells per year. And then maybe by the end of the day, end of the year, they'll get that yield rate up to 10 gigawatt hours. Because after you've finalized that design for your cell line, it takes about six months to get it, uh, six months to a year to get that fully ramped. So I expect that's gonna be plenty of cells for uh, the Model Y and any overflow, I think they're gonna use that for uh, like the semi. And then once we get into next year, I think that's finally when the, the battery production facility will be built at Giga Berlin. And I think that's going to be their, 
first full-scale production facility. I expect them to break ground and start building that facility the second half of this year, and then they're going to start ramping it next year. So uh, as they start ramping that line in Giga Berlin, say about a year from now, Cato Road can be redirected. Those cells can be redirected for the Semi, uh, the Tesla Roadster, and Cybertruck. So yeah, as I was saying, I think they'll have more, more than enough cells that they need early in the Model Y ramp. And I think those are going to go to the Cybertruck. So I think late at the end of this year, we'll see the Cybertruck start rampant. So it's kind of, they have all these different ramps that are going at the same time, and they have to feather their cell production to make sure that they can supply enough cells for those, for those ramps. So I got into a lot of detail there, but uh, uh, hopefully no, that no, not was- Not at all, because it, it, it is a hell of a thing. You're trying to bring the semi and the cyber on at the same time, and they both need high nickel 4680 cells. Yeah, if you if you're going to make if it's going to make sense and you're going to make money out of it commercially, so it is quite a thing. Unless we forget, Battery Day, he said, if I remember correctly, 100 gigawatt hours of internal cell production by 2022, and they will be at capacity 200 gigawatt hours by the end of 22. Now, do you think he's on track for that? It depends on how you interpret it. I think. I have it written down somewhere. <laughs> Is but... there any other way of can he can he produce hundred gigawatt hour cells internally next year? Well, no, I don't think they can. I, I think that's going to be the the run rate that they're at at the end of the year. I think they're probably going to produce something closer to fifty or sixty gigawatt hours for the entire company uh, for uh, for twenty twenty two. And that's not. And, and let's just be clear. So those that think taking a, a skeptic view of the techno king of Tesla to even get to 50 to 60 gigawatt hours is a hell of an achievement. Let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm not trying to piss on anybody's dreams here. It's just, I don't know. No, I'm saying from my side, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm teasing, but it, yeah. that would be a, in my mind would be a phenomenal result as it is. Yeah. Well, I feel like saying that I've become, become kind of a Tesla bear and it's like, no, no, this is like, 60 gigawatt hours in 2022 is impressive. absolutely amazing. That's nothing to, to scoff at. That's enough for what? 800,000 vehicles, something like that. So, well, it depends on the, on the, on the, yeah. on the size of those bad boys, because obviously semi is going to choose. I don't know what you're estimating as, as kilowatt hour capacity. I thought it was going to be slightly bigger, but I think the short range about 500 and the longer range trips I guess the six or 700, I originally thought it might be 800 and the Cybertruck surely will not be coming in under a hundred. Yes, the, the Cybertruck, I think it depends on, funnily enough, it depends on what kind of tires you put on the Cybertruck, because if they're off-road inefficient tires, you're gonna get very different uh, mileage than you would out of on-road tires. I think it's gonna be on-road tires. It, it's, uh, there's a channel that did a great analysis on it called NXT Garage. Uh, so I would go with their on-road tires that they use for that estimate. And he was looking at 180 kilowatt hours for the, the triple motor long range version. And I forget what the lesser ones was. I think it was something like 85 to 90 kilowatt hours for the 250 mile version with the rear wheel drive motor. And then the dual, uh, dual motor was somewhere in between there. 
what I've been thinking about the last couple of days is as Tesla hits this cell constraint or raw materials constraint, which I think they will between 24 and 2026, based on what I've seen of like benchmark minerals and what have you, I think a lot of the way that they're going to deal with that is by ramping the model two, which will probably have like, I don't know, a 50 or a 60 kilowatt hour battery pack. So they should be able to get more vehicles out of the same number of cells. Yeah, look, I, I think it, it will be interesting. So, you know, obviously we know the benchmark guys well. We take a different interpretation. They sort of show the aggregate level. As far as from where I'm sitting, Jordan, you're going to have a structural deficit in lithium by next year. You're going to be short. So supply demand total looks okay. But when you pass it down to strip out all the industrial supplies, so grease, ceramics, et cetera, take that lithium supply out and then take well-established battery supply chains like LCO for your phones and your laptops, take that out take all those long-term contracts out and strip it out, then strip out all the off-spec material that doesn't qualify into the battery supply chain, strip that out. Then when you're left with what you see, what you're left with, you've got yourself a problem. Now, that's why Tesla's looking to produce internally. I know they've got teams on clay and all of those good things. That's great. If you look at the graphite side as well, that's also going to look uh, tight. You know, uh, um, Look, it depends on, on what you look at. And again, you can't just flip and say, well, well I'll go to LFP because LFP in the end also needs uh, carbonate. It's, it's still going to need battery grade material to go in it and it's going to need graphite to go in it. So we'll see. I do think I've always said um, the beauty of, of for Tesla is they started out as an all electric company. So it's not optional to figure out how you're going to get your raw materials. You either have them or you don't, you don't have a product. A lot of the traditional OEMs, when EVs were one, 2%, it was a sideshow bob. It was a fringe thing. You leave it to your cell suppliers to say, guys, that's what I need and take care of it. And they tried that for a long time. Now, of course, that doesn't pan. So now you have to rethink. We think there are a number of EV producers that are going to come up who don't have term contracts and don't have their raw materials and are reliant on third parties that are going to come up short. You can see who's taking EV seriously because they have secured, they have gone out, they have done term contracts on key materials, and they have done term contracts with battery cell suppliers that we would consider genuine tier one suppliers that that some of those have done the offtake agreements on behalf of, I guess, their customers. But there are a lot of the other sort of, uh, you know, lesser sized uh, operators and EV manufacturers that we think are going to be caught out. Possibly a couple of the bigger names uh, too, we'll see. But then in China, where you have 475 EV makers that go into the spot market and do the lastminute.com supply chains and, and run it fast and, and loose because they don't have the balance sheet. I think like in the past, in the internal combustion era, there were casualties. I think it's realistically, we have to see some casualties in the EV space because there are just too many names. If you add, if you bottom up all of the estimated sales, it's not possible. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't take much to 
to sink a company once it's starting to teeter. It was, I think, last year ago, I had a conversation from with Yvonne from EV Stock Channel, and it seemed to me that the company that was most likely to, to pull through it was Volkswagen. Even them, I suggested that uh, they might require some sort of bailout from the government, uh, because it, VW, I think, in Germany is, uh, or in Europe in general, is kind of too big to fail, and they wouldn't let that company fail. Um, but a lot of the other companies, I just, I don't see them making it because it's going to be, it's, it's going to be musical chairs with raw materials and there's not going to be enough chairs when everybody sits down. There's going to be, <laughs> there's going to be some people that are left out and they don't have what they need to make batteries. And the further, you do, it's like when you're uh, driving a car or a motorbike real fast, the further that you can look down. Uh, further that you can look ahead, the less likely you are to hit something or wreck. And it's the same way with uh, strategic planning for raw materials. Tesla is, has the furthest sight, the furthest line of sight uh, of all the major auto, automakers. Uh, VW at their power day, they said they're, you know, they're going to bring self-production in-house, but it didn't look like they were looking at raw materials at all. And that's where everything's at. That's where everything's going to be for between 2023 and 2026, or even starting this year, as you said. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think so. So we always joke and say, you know, if you look at all of the um, the listings in the U.S., that possibly, you know, uh, Wall Street is suffering from premature e-speculation as you had all <laughs> of these. Uh, as you had all of these EV companies coming onto the market, and now some of them are already clearing back their forecast because they're saying they don't have supply now. So some of them don't have battery cell supply and so on. And that's why I've said we did some research um, for uh, a couple of companies last year in terms of the bottom up versus what was available and the bottom up totals of, of, e of estimated EV cells. It's just not, it's just not physically possible in the raw material space. And we said it, from quite a while back and uh, you know people have been in denial they've had their head and saying no no not us you know uh, but as i say based on our maths not looking at aggregated supply demand which is what you see you see from some forecasters we'll be, pair it down to battery level and i think from next year the alarm sirens are, are, are going to be going off and it'll be very interesting to see what happens with uh, all of these, you know, would-be specs that have, have raised a lot of money, uh, you know, how how they're going to sort of live up to to forecast? Yeah, um, and I, I want to go back on touch touch on something that you mentioned. You were talking about LFP a moment ago, and earlier in the video, and uh, in terms of graphite, a lot of people are concerned that because silicon is hitting the market that it's going to eliminate the need for graphite. Now you gave one counter argument against that. It's, you know, we might actually see an increased demand in batteries because- uh, It's an enabler. To me, yeah. it's the enabler. Yeah, but the one thing I'd like to add to that is lithium iron phosphate. I don't think they're going to be putting much silicon in those batteries because LFP, its biggest strength is its cost and its cycle life. And I think the more cycle silicon life. that you yeah. add to it, the, uh, the, the less utility you're going to get out of those LFP batteries. So I think LFP is going to be an absolutely massive chunk of the market deeper into the 2020s. And they're, 
I think it's going to be using pure graphite anodes. I still need to do a deep dive on LFP because I do have some concerns about the cold weather charging performance. I don't know if it's something particular to see. But, 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 but with, with, yeah. that, with that said, uh, Jordan, the one, the one thing, so where a hydroxide goes, we've sort of pushed, but that is on the performance EVs, which we think still have a long way to go, specifically in the US and in Europe and possibly even into aviation as one goes the high nickel light batteries you know for but i am a i am pro lfp in terms of the energy storage and and so on so from that perspective you know if you're talking 60 to 80 dollars per kilowatt hour at the pack level you can electrify almost anything and that's where i see renewables with energy storage as a huge huge market for lfp and speaking to our guys, they agree with you in terms of look at what goes graphite wise goes into LFP. And it's exactly what you're saying. The key element to it, charge and discharge from a renewables backup perspective, you want cycle life. Yeah, so it's, uh, I think the future is bright for graphite and it's, uh... I've had quite a few discussions with people online. There's there's a lot of hype around silicon. Uh, there's quite a few people that thought Tesla unveiled a pure silicon anode at Battery Day, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's it's it's just not the case. That's years down the road, it, if not later this decade or early next decade. But think mm -hmm. about it, Jordan. What performance can you get out of increasing the silicon doping from six percent or whatever it is, or around ten to fifteen to twenty? It does phenomenal things. Yeah. I don't think people understand how good the battery is going to be at 15 to 20. Yeah, you're going to get fast charging. Uh, is going to be, besides the higher energy density, you're going to get fast, charge, fast charging capability with high silicon. So I think people are going to be surprised what a dash of silicon can do. And, and that's my point is it's the enabler. Everyone said, you know, they misread that thing. What we're saying and what the guys we speak to in the graphite world are saying is, no, no putting that extra bit of silicon in is going to, if anything, is going to secure the future of graphite. It's going to expand the market of graphite because A, is cheap to put the silicon in and the performance is phenomenal. So uh, you know, I'm very much looking to see how that, that adjustment improves, improves the market share for graphite. And I, and I agree with you on the LFP, you, you, you make a good point. And that was the interesting thing again is, um, is uh, you know, the natural graphite going in with LFP. Yeah. Um, and there's a, one thing I was about to, to mention. I, I am starting to look into the, the cold weather performance of LFP. It, it might be something to do with because LFP has low energy density, or it tends to have lower energy density, what manufacturers like CATL have been doing is they've been trying to make that cathode more thick and more dense. And what might have happened is they might have pushed that too far. They may have made, made, it, made that cathode, LFP cathode, so thick and so dense that the lithium ions are having difficulty getting in and out of the cathode. Uh, if, if that's the case, and it's just a matter of the way that they've formulated it, and it's not inherent to LFP, then Tesla might be able to make a very uh, persuasive LFP cell because they've reduced, they've increased the energy density or will increase the L energy density of LFP 
in other ways, like uh, their cell design and pack level design. Uh, but I, I still need to look into this. Yeah, you raise you raise an interest. So I've always raised that thing because that's my understanding is that in very cold weather, it has issues. Um, mm -hmm. And there's even talk about some discharging when it's standing still. Um, so I, I I saw they've you know released you know different things about how best to do your charging of your LFP. I saw there was some protocol or what have you. You know, phone master of coin face east do this, charge for an hour, do that. But again, you know, people want convenience. So, I, you know, I, 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 do, I do think that, that LFP definitely has a place and it, and it can, can price well, and I see applications on it. But as I say, I don't, in my mind, I don't think people understand how quickly and how big the US EV market is going to change. And in the end, the U.S. consumer is a little like me. Maybe I, I should be more resilient or whatever, but I want long range and fast charging. I don't. I, I want the convenience. And I think the U.S., the upper end market's going to continue to want that. You know, people drive long distances in the U.S. It's a big country. Um, the charging infrastructure outside of Tesla isn't as developed. Um, so people, you know, they don't want to have to stop twice to go 800 kilometers or whatever they want to charge once and and do it yeah it's i think the only thing that's going to limit vehicle range is going to be a shortage of cells due to a shortage of materials a lot of people are expecting the range of tesla vehicles to skyrocket in the next few years but i think they're going to hold back on cells in the mid 2020s and keep the range at you know for their uh, most of their consumer vehicles, I think it's it's going to be around 300. I don't think we're going to see from their their mainstream vehicles four or 500 miles of range. I think that's going to be for specialty vehicles like the Roadster, Cybertruck, and Model Model S, uh, because they want to put as many cars as, on the road as possible. And I think they're going to be limited in terms of raw materials. An interesting conversation, Jordan. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, great to chat to you again. Uh, and I look forward to uh, your next deep dive. What is that going to be on? What's the next one? I think I did uh, last week's was lithium clay, just from a strategic point of view, why Tesla would want to get into it. And the next video that I'm going to do is me taking a wild guess as to what this process might, might look like. I'm, uh, I'm putting myself out there a bit. It's out of my area of expertise and nobody knows what they're actually going to do, but I, I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out. I found a few synergies and a few processes that might allow for what Tesla is talking about. So thanks for having me. I enjoyed this. It was a really engaging conversation. We could have probably gone on for another hour. <laughs>